0: On this episode of Long Riders Radio, grab your Vegemite and throw another shrimp on the Barbie. We're going to talk with Peter Hogan about his lap around Australia. Well, hey there, everyone. Justin here. Well, guess what happens in a month? And I I think am prepared, I hope. Uh remember all that stuff I said a couple episodes ago about oh the bike's ready, I'm not gonna change anything. Yeah. Well, decided uh that I really wanted a new set of bar risers and so I ended up getting uh replacing the MV Motorad uh bar risers that I had on the bike with some Healy bars uh risers and I love them. It puts me in a much better position and now the bike is where i want it to be and uh, there will be no changes you heard it heard it here no more changes to the bike uh i actually have probably made more changes than i should have prior to this rally but hey it's a new bike and i got to get it ready and i got to get it so it's it feels comfortable for me so it's better now even if something goes goes wrong with the changes i made it's better than what it was so this episode uh if you frequent the iron butt forums you may have seen uh, Ox 34, Peter Hogan, uh, in his lap around the paddock. And it's a IBR uh, Australia ride. Basically, what they do is they got nine days to get around the whole continent. And uh, that is not exactly the easiest thing in the world. So we're going to talk with Peter. Hope you enjoy. Well, on the line all the way halfway around the world uh I have Peter Hogan who just did what he's calling a lap of the paddock a complete lap of Australia. Now I know we've got a lot of listeners down in uh down in Oz. Uh, a lot of folks on the Far Riders uh uh message board listen to us, so uh pretty cool to have uh have one of their one of their own uh, on today. So uh Peter, welcome to Long Riders Radio.
1: Justin, thank you very much. Uh yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, absolutely. And uh you want to give uh give everyone a little a little introduction.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm Peter Hogan. I live on the uh, the eastern eastern seaboard here of Australia in Newcastle. It's just a couple of hours north of Sydney, and uh, I've been riding long distance, which is basically what we're talking about here, for um, a few years now. I just came upon it uh, accidentally in a way, but uh, so I started in, in 2008, and um, with the Fire Riders Group, which is a uh, effectively like a ride to eat group here in Australia. Um, We've got over a thousand members these days, but um, I was uh, fairly early on. I'm I'm number 92 in that group. But uh, yes, I've been riding lots of different bikes, and uh, since 2008, lots of different rides. I've ridden in different countries, and uh, lucky enough to even ride in the the Iron Butt Rally. But uh, yeah, that's that's basically me. I'm I'm right into it. Love to park all the bikes, and uh, I'll ride anything. I'll give anything a crack. Long distance ride. I can't get enough of it.
0: (laughs) That's good to hear. All right, so let's. uh... The first question I've got for you is why? why, What possessed you to want to to make this ride? Why? uh, Why ride around the around the continent? Well,
1: uh, in Australia, over over many years, there've been lots of people do this ride, perhaps of slightly different variations on exactly which road they've ridden. But from the Iron Butt point of view, a few years ago, T.J. Evans, who's effectively the head of uh, of uh, the Iron Butt in Australia. He rode he rode the route and effectively then set the rules to ride around A1 the old highway. And um, over a couple of weeks before I did it, so I finished the ride a couple of weeks ago. There were two other fellows, Fredo and Dez, were doing the lap. They didn't run a spot tracker, which is so <laughs> it was tantalising because the information about what they were doing was so hard to find. But what triggered it was I was just watching and hearing where they were. And so, of course, I went looking back to see what TJ had done and found the rules for this. And so I realized that there's this clockwise lap of Australia going on. And uh, I thought, well, I'd love to have a go at that. And uh, on the last day as they were completing, or heading towards completion. And so so it's a nine-day ride, 15,000 kilometers. So to put it in perspective, it's basically Iron Butt rally pace. Yeah. And uh, as the boys were coming closer and closer, and they went tantalizingly close to to the time frame and ju- just got stuck in traffic and many other things, things can go crazy on this ride. And uh, I thought, well, I have to have a go. So um, I'd been on a ride, uh, an Butt ride, just the week before, and I had one bike ready to go. But I thought, well, I'll take a different one. So I, I loaded the bike, and with about two or three hours' notice, decided to... Um, to ride a lap of Australia.
0: <laughs> so you, there was no forward planning, you just basically well, hopped I, on the bike was saying, and
1: went. <laughs> so some people would say, look, wasn't there a plan? The plan's easy. The yeah. rules are set. Yeah. So I just looked at the rules and uh, and I, because I'd already been following along with, with where the boys were, I knew roughly where I had to go. Yeah. And I thought, well, it can't be that hard because you just follow the signs anyway. And uh, there's a major detour to get around some really, really rugged stuff that a road bike most certainly cannot handle. So there's a, up in, up in the northern, very remote part of Australia. Um, but uh, so I already knew what places I had to hit. I knew the time frame, and um, so it's pretty straightforward. Right. Um, my only, I only had one planning thing at all, and that was to beat the Brisbane traffic. Now Brisbane is about 800 kilometres or so north of me, and I've experienced the Brisbane traffic. Uh, once before, and I didn't want to get it again. So I left at eight o'clock at night, which is a stupid time to leave for me, at least. I don't know about you, but uh, I just took off, and um, and that's that was it. It was the it was the two fellows, Fredo and Dez. Doing the ride that just inspired me to, I'm just going to go and do a lap of Australia.
0: Okay, so let's before we get too much into the ride, I want to just go yeah. a cu- over a couple of real general things. So first of all, tell, give me an idea about the size of Australia. I mean, we're, from what I've seen, yeah. it's basically yeah. continental United States size.
1: It is. It's the lower 48. We can you can overlap the the, the two, you know, the lower 48 states, and Australia, and it, it's the same size. Yep. So basically, it would be the same as if of the 48 states just sticking all the way around the border. That's really what we're doing. If there be, and i say just the shape of Australia, a little bit of a detour, say, to come as you're approaching Minnesota to come south, cut west, and then go back up north again to the Canadian border and around that way. That's kind of a, that's the scope of the
0: ride. All right, so yeah. um, just for everyone listening, this may be a good time to head over to your computer and uh, go to Google Maps because... I, I certainly don't know well, I know where some of these places are, but uh not a lot of them, so it might be a good idea to head that way and uh follow along as you go so let's start talking about what 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 bike did you take i it sounds like you've got quite a few
1: yeah yeah i've got I've got five bikes currently they've all done iron butt rides i've well, i suppose i've done iron butt rides on um on well over twenty motorcycles but uh yeah i'm I've currently got my third f j r thirteen hundred um, and it's you know, it 's uh completely far you know with you know from the electronics point of view it 's got uh you know six spotlights on it and um and i 'm running a a maples uh maple Farkles, um auxiliary fuel cell on the back mm-hmm. Which did it gave me a little bit of trouble in the end. Mike's done a great job putting it together, but I took it places it's not supposed to go, <laughs> so it's a really really rough ride. So I, I end up cracking a little bit of the uh, the back of the the tank. But uh, so that's what I took. Incredibly comfortable. I don't have cruise control on it, but a mechanical cruise control called Omni Cruise, which is pretty essential for you know seventeen hundred, so six, uh, what's that a thousand and fifty miles a day, I suppose, for nine days in a row. Um, I put a GPS on. I didn't actually even program the ride in. Uh, I'd just go sort of from town to town vaguely. That's all I really needed to do because I was mainly looking for speed and, uh, you know, to, to watch my speed. I ran a spot tracker and uh, fed the spot tracker you know, up onto the internet um, and had quite a few people following me along, which is terrific. But that was the bike that I chose. Great bike for it, although I took it, as I say, on, on some roads, one road, it's called a highway, but the bitumen itself will be less than uh, two meters wide. At times, very, very rough. Um, but the FJR itself came through uh, fantastically. One set of tyres, had been recently serviced, so that was my my weapon of choice for this okay. ride.
0: So, uh, what kind yeah. of tyres were you running?
1: Uh, PR fours. Nice. Uh, I guess for several years now, I've been a Michelin guy, so I run just the GT spec, um, yeah, Michelin Pilot Road fours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, so um, – and I should point out that Peter's got a really nice write-up on the Iron Butt forums that you could also take a look at. So you're starting out north of Sydney in Newcastle, and you're heading yep. up the coast towards Brisbane. And yep. now you're actually believe it or not you're getting into areas I've actually been to. I uh, I took oh, a trip really? Right, okay. Took a trip to Australia yeah. in uh when I was in like 5th grade and uh, we went to Cairns and drove down to Brisbane uh stopping in Oh, fantastic. along yeah, yeah, the way there. Yeah. So um so actually, it was kind of cool seeing the when you cross the of, tropic of Cap, uh, Capricorn. See, I, yep, like, yep. I've been there. I've been to that monument. Yeah, yeah good stuff. And if memory yep. serves, that's actually not where the Tropic of Capricorn is. That the.
1: Well, I took a photo of it, so I don't know where it really is, but it's <laughs> got to be around there somewhere.
0: <laughs> so, but one thing I so where I'm going with this is when we were up in in the Cairns area, I remember we went out to a place called Chilligo, which is as the, our driver described it out in the sticks, and. Yep. uh the the road was not paved. Now, I mean, for quite a while. And there's big land trains going by and everything else kicking up yep, dust. Yep, yep. How, yep. Was everything? Were you on pavement the whole time, or were you having to deal with any off road?
1: Uh just a, just a small amount of uh, dirt dirt road. I'd say the the most off road was actually a road. Um, it's a it's about a 350 uh, kilometer long stretch where my description of it would be like. 50 teams of road builders were asked to come and build a road. They all had different ideas of how you do that. <laughs> so the road just constantly changed. From sometimes it was lovely and smooth, but most of the time it was, was not. And um, so as you're talking about the road trains, so the, so this is the Tablelands Way, it's called, mm-hmm. and uh, the bitumen, rough, rough, rough bitumen, perhaps a couple of metres wide. But when the road trains come at you, it's a bit of background there. In Australia, we have... Uh, road trains, which can be 53 metres long, something in the order of 100 and, 175 feet, I think it is, yeah. um, in the Imperial. And the, <laughs> so they they will just come down the road. Uh, they're not going to move. They won't move for anything. So on two metres of bitumen, you just have to hit the dirt, the grass, whatever you can do to get out of their way as they come along. So that was uh, very, very common. I, I would have passed hundreds of those things. Not The road, of course, was not always like that. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's beautiful highways that you're passing them on. But that's a major feature of some of our remote long-distance riding here in Australia is the road train. We're all familiar with them.
0: And they're, they're called dogs, yeah. right? Well,
1: the dogs are yeah, each one. That's the, yeah. they, they're the trailers on the back. Yeah. I know we, you know, we, compared to North America, we use the term use the terms But it's like, I think you guys would say like a semi-trailer. Yeah. But now stick another one on the back and put another one on the back and, and another. put another one on the back. <laughs> yeah. And now pull it with one prime mover. That's a road train.
0: Who's going seventy-five miles an hour and not stopping for anything? Yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. They don't, they don't stop for anything. Yeah. So there's quite a lot of road up in uh, in across the northern half of Australia, in the you know, more remote areas. But much of Australia, it's, we're we're very remote anyway. Um, uh, and so they they they're just you know transporting goods, you know, cattle, whatever it might be. Uh, in, and it 's the most efficient way to do it in just, you know one prime mover and just go, but uh, the roads are quite often just one lane yeah and so uh, even in the the total amount of um, what you know, what we would even understand to be like interstate quality roads would have only been uh, uh, maybe you know eight hundred kilometers five hundred miles or something like that in the whole fifteen thousand kilometers Wow. Um, and quite a bit was just single lane.
0: And so once and you're just
1: the nature, you just share the road. Yeah.
0: And so just to remind everyone that Australia, it's summer in Australia right now. So you're, it's, you're in the tropics and, and, and doing this. So it's, it's pretty warm, isn't it?
1: Yeah. 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 That's hot. Uh, it's up, up north in Australia, even, well, I only, only finished the ride a couple of weeks ago, but it was hot. So this is, uh, at times I was in the high 30s. So you're know, pushing, getting up towards, you know, 95 degrees Fahrenheit or so. But down below, when I came across the bottom in the fog and the cold, it was single digits. So I huh. uh, so I guess, for you guys, yeah, you know, in the forties or something. Yeah, that's just a couple of days later. Yeah, that's that's just the nature of the size of the place. And yeah, but so that was it. yeah in the tropics is where all the big uh, the biggest trucks are. Yeah.
0: All right. So you're cruising along the northern uh, part of Queensland there, and you had to take a little yeah. bit of a detour. You want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: So uh, that's basically in the iron butt rules for this ride. It's because Right at the Gulf of Carpentaria, which is this big chunk taken out of uh, uh, out of the northern part of Australia, um, you cut across due east, uh, sorry, due west from Cairns, run into a tiny little settlement called Normanton, and the true A1, the, the road that, it actually does snake its way around like a hundred river crossings. It's all dirt, completely dirt, gravel, and high clearance four-wheel drives is what would normally be there. Because it's totally unsuitable for a road bike, Dirt bikes could get through. I'm sure if if they had the skills, they could go right ahead. But so there's a detour, and the detour is to just drop due south, then to go due west through a uh, mining town. So that's, that's to the town of Cloncurry, then to uh, Mount Isa, which is a big mining town, and then the next town is not really a town. It's just it's a it's a homestead. It's a, a roadhouse. So in Australia, a roadhouse, petrol station, accommodation, and a you know, local general store, which might feed people for a you know, hundred kilometres around or so. And then from there, due north up this very, very lumpy road that I was talking about before, uh, and then out to a very remote, again, everything seems to be remote, uh, a little place called Burulula, Um, which is then, it's the other end of what would have been a horrendous dirt uh, you know, dirt pathway to take. So that is the bypass. Um, I'm not sure how, actually, I should have looked at it, but I did not, to see how much it adds to it. It doesn't really matter. As far as the, from the from the bitumen uh, point of view, you you just can't go across the top. You just can't you, you can't do it. It's dirt road.
0: So it looks like it's, so uh, it's Highway eighty three to eighty. Excuse me to the A two back and then north on the on seventy six.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so oh, you know the numbers better than I do, but <laughs> by the name it's the Tablelands Way and back up to. Often the 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 road might have several names. Like yeah, you know, the Savannah Way. Maybe it's the Carpentaria Way at the same time. But, um, yeah, and that's, there is one road that does cut across, as I say, but, uh, inaccessible to me on my FJR, that is for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. So yeah. you mentioned you're kind of doing, you're doing basically iron butt pace. I mean, yeah. what was the, what was the most miles or miles or kilometers you did each day?
1: Um, I think, well, like a 1900 kilometer day or something. There was wow. one, um, early, like sort of three, two thirds of the way through or so. I had one day where, um. I was pushing along and aiming for one place to stop. And uh, I couldn't find any I was just gonna do an I butt motel and uh in a in a large town, so I was all, if you like, not so much psyched up, but gearing down. And uh so I you know, trying to just you know, relax, come down. I want to be able to sleep, you know, within minutes basically putting my my head on head on the bench and um I overshot that. I couldn't I couldn't find accommodation there, so I, I came to the next town about uh you know, fifty miles away, eighty kilometres away. And uh, so that sort of put me behind, and uh, I was a bit overtired that day. So I think the the, you know, the day following that one, I think I only did about twelve hundred kilometres in the in the twenty four hours because I was you know, sleeping early on, and uh, the last the latter part of that day was really really rough with uh, fog and bad weather. Yeah, so that slowed me down enormously. But yeah, so I think somewhere from the about 1900 kilometres in the longest day and down to about 11 or 1200 kilometres in the shortest day. Yeah. Okay, so the w- clock, of course, because I wasn't I, I wasn't keeping a standard. Yeah, you know, I go to bed at, at uh, midnight, wake up at four o'clock, kind of thing. My days sometimes overshot or was short based on where I started the day before.
0: So yeah. how many ti- how many time zones does Australia have that you had to deal with time changes?
1: uh yeah uh, but, uh four. we've got the three main time changes. There's no we don't have the daylight savings at the moment, which is a bit funny, because, like I think in the u s, some states observe daylight savings, so it's, and others do not. Um, so there's just the three time zones, and across the bottom, the Nullarbor Plain, there's uh again these road houses, and there's, a, there's you know three or four or five of them, they have a completely separate time zone, <sighs> themselves. It's like halfway between the two states that they're kind of uh, in the middle of. So they observe a different time frame, which is very confusing. When you're trying to keep your documents in order, and I try to do good documents, <laughs> it makes no sense, the time that they're telling you. It doesn't make any sense compared to your bike clock, which is what I use. And uh, and, you, and, you know, and your, your mobile phone, of course, has gone completely berserk. It doesn't make any sense at all. But, yeah, that's just this uh, a little strip of several hundred kilometres um, with uh, a strange zone. But, really, it's, it's three time zones, yeah.
0: Okay, so where we left off talking about the ride, you were in Bur- Burulura. Yep. Um Yeah, so- yeah.
1: Which is uh, that was an interesting thing. As I came into, I, I got gas there, and uh, as I walked in the door, I was basically greeted with saying that some bloke, you know, fella, uh, some bloke phoned about you. So as soon as I walked in the door, the girl there knew because <laughs> no one else was out there on a road bike. She just knew it was me, and it was asking about. Um, if the road were clear to go, you know, the, the, uh, one of, one of the fellows from here, the, uh, an iron butt rider and, um, uh, a, a, a prominent fire rider here, uh, Michael Morris, fat man, he'd called ahead to ask if the road was clear and I'd already known that there was a trouble spot. So that's what, that's what that conversation was all about. So the girl at the, uh, at the petrol station told me that, um, yes, the road is clear. So if you want to, it, was clear, but it wasn't, it wasn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't fun at all. <laughs>
0: So, if you had to describe riding across northern territory here, could, if you could, can you put that into perspective for somewhere in the United States? Is this like kind of the Southwest? Is it more rural? Than- uh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, parts of it will be like, say, I've ridden across Highway Fifty, a spectacular road uh, you know, across Utah and, yeah. and Nevada. So, some of it is like that. But then you, I guess, even like that part of you know, of your world that. Um, you can come around a corner from what's otherwise fairly barren, and I actually love the beautiful wide open spaces that we have, and then drop into quite gorge sort of country, mm. and then move on again. But that's, yeah, it's very flat, you have complete 360 degree views, um, and there was an oh, there's an awful lot of it. I think we're about the flattest continent on earth, so there's an awful lot of that.
0: So how-, how so,
1: I'd say, yeah, the southwest, I'd say, yes. Yeah.
0: So, how big a deal of it was? How big a deal was finding gas? And I mean, was that something that was a problem, or was it fairly easy?
1: Uh, no. Well, I, I was using the auxiliary tank, although because I'd had the I'd had the the problem with the the frame at the back of that. I, I for a couple of days I backed off on using that, and I already knew my my petrol points. So I've I've ridden around there before. Overnight in some some parts of Australia, it's very hard. There's uh, one part, I think, is uh, 870 kilometers with no 24-hour fuel. Hmm. So, again, you know, that's whatever that is. You know, it's uh, over 500 miles yeah. with no late-night fuel. So you do have to pick your way carefully through that. And uh, so there's a bit of speculation. You know, As people were following my, light, my ride along, trying to figure out my timings of why I was doing, why I stopped there, and, and it was just basically to get myself through. In the end, I didn't have any real bother. But uh, that's mainly, I guess, just background knowledge. So, I would not want to just hop on a bike and go riding with no idea where you're going, because yeah. you, know, you can, uh, you know, it's not at all uncommon to have, you know, four to five hundred kilometres. The, the, we have one road that cuts Australia in half, and um, although there is one like a, an automatic card swipe, we don't have much. We don't have many of those in Australia. It's a bit unreliable. So again. The main road cutting Australia in half north south, there's a 670 kilometre section with mm. no overnight fuel. So if you're not running an auxiliary tank or carrying jerry jerry cans or something, it's uh, very hard to get through if you get your timing wrong.
0: So uh, on yeah. on the same same type of question about water, how how did you deal with water?
1: Oh, I carried a, I had a camelback um, on the back of the bike, so I've got the it's a flatbed tank that I have on the back. Mm-hmm. just the a Pelican case on top of that. And uh, I just had a three-litre um, uh, Camelback on there with a retractable cord. That's, I'm, I'm well used to that. At times, like say even uh, when I rode the Iron Butt Rally, I had a 10-litre um, one of those because I wasn't sure how I'd be going. In fact, in the US, it's much easier. And uh, I just topped up. Normally, I start my day with uh, iced coffee. I'd been off coffee for a couple of months before uh, just to – uh you know, wash the caffeine out of my system. I have two iced coffees in the morning. Otherwise when it was hot up north, watered down Gatorade and those sorts of things. But otherwise water's yeah, water's easy to get. Okay. Far more expensive um than fuel. Yeah.
0: I yeah, bet. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was somewhere in this I was reading your in your ride report, you you found a jogger on the side of the road?
1: Oh, that was at the tail end of the most bizarre experience. So as I say, it was uh, Des and Fredo, they'd inspired me, and I didn't know about any troubles that they'd had. But um, the same fellow that I said before, uh, Fat Man, he he saw my spot tracker and realised, okay, I'm back in civilisation. I'd come down from the detour. I was just uh, filling up at a place called uh, Concurry, and uh, Michael called me up, and he was just talking about how things are going. Yeah, yeah. And I, I said, it's all going fine. And he said, I've got a guest here. I said, oh, who's that? He says, it's Des, it's Wingman. He just—he was the one who just completed this sub-10-day ride himself. So he put Des on, and uh, Des elaborated on this problem that, uh, that he and Fredo had had through a really rough section on, on this very remote road where it was underwater, and it had been graded, um, and they couldn't see what they were going through. And like jet skis, they managed to somehow get their gold wings through God. But Des just wanted to really reinforce to me that it's about 200 metres, you know, 200 yards across, and uh, very, very rough. So I'd been riding slowly into the into the setting sun. I'm heading due west into the setting sun, and uh, I came upon this spot. At first, I thought I'd I'd already found one. Oh, this must be it. Until I crested a rise, and what I could see in front of me, again squinting into the sun, I could see water on either side of the road. On the right, we course right on the left-hand side of the road, but a very narrow strip on the right-hand side of the road that I could see, so I I knew it was dry. And then progressively, longer and longer, wheel ruts to the left-hand side, so as the road was sloping, I suppose, into the water, so it's it's very wet up north and can be flooded for a while. So I knew, okay, I should be able to get through. So I'm doing normal road speed. I slowed down a little as I just peered into the sun, so it would be about 90 kilometers an hour, whatever, uh, 55 miles an hour or something. And all of a sudden, the bike my handlebars just went berserk. I was shaking and sliding all over the place. I, I really couldn't figure out for the few, first few seconds what on earth was going on until after about 50 meters of coming, you know, my, my handlebars shaking all over the place and me thinking I'm going to fall off. I glanced down on the road and I could see the paint as the I'd come through so that's just the center line. I'd actually, I'd come through gravel. There's enormous <laughs> chunks of gravel up to like a, about the size of an egg. Jeez. And I would just shot into it at 90 kilometers an hour <laughs> because I couldn't see it. It was just road colored. And uh, uh. that's when I thought I'd lose it and came to a, a little section in the middle that was less covered by the gravel. That's where I could see the paint where I finally realized what had happened. I was just... I was sh- shooting through tons of gravel on the road and so as i prepared for the second section i aim i aim to hit the the long the long groove of water and uh which I, I guess was not too deep and uh yeah just pulled the clutch and i, I was just i spun the wheel up i was just you know, rooster tailing out gravel everywhere out of the back of the fjr but at that point the the, the back is fish tailing and the front's just happily just sliding through uh. so it's perfectly stable you know uh, as i'm spinning the back wheel. And just, because I, had to, I still had to go at least 100 metres of gravel like this. So I'm just sliding along quite happily as I'm as, uh, spinning the wheel up. <laughs> but the, the bizarre thing is while I'm doing all of this, and it's just noise and clatter of rocks going everywhere, I looked up ahead and in the middle of nowhere, like this road is 240 kilometres from one end to the other with no proper, there's no road, no side roads, there's no intersections, there's nothing. I look up ahead and there's a jogger jogging out of the sun toward me. (laughs) And it was just this bizarre, while I'm just fishtailing and I've got no dirt skills, I'm fishtailing all over the place, watching this guy who's just jogging towards me as he's running toward the rocks. And my thoughts were like, he's just a normal guy. He's not a not a marathon runner he's got a black singlet He's normal work pants he's got just some old pair of sneakers he's jogging to it as this odd odd thought hit me as I'm looking at this big big left arm of his this big hairy man arm and I thought if I drop it he'll be able to pick me up <laughs> and uh, but I'm just fish tailing and sliding the front end's just casually dancing its way out out of the gravel and as I came out it's like well I didn't drop it. <laughs> and, uh, so I gave him a nod and a wave, and he gave me a nod and a wave, and I just kept on going, and I still don't know where he was going and where on earth he was coming from. I never saw his car. I didn't see anywhere for 20, 30, 40 miles of driveway. I've no idea where he's coming from. But uh, that that was me, my b- very, very bizarre twilight zone experience <laughs> cutting through <laughs> this little hole in the in this poor old little highway, the Carpentaria Way. <laughs> All right. Uh,
0: so now, as you're as you're kind of coming uh, into Western Australia, how's the yep. how's the scenery changing as you're coming towards the coast oh, yeah, again? Yeah.
1: From, so yeah, from from that point, that's where I hit the uh, my next point was about a hundred kilometers from there, and then you just go due north up to Darwin. You know, the the, the sort of in the middle of Australia, that's mm-hmm. the northernmost town. And then uh, you come back down three so – I and I stayed a, a few hours there. I spoke to TJ, who'd done the first ride. He saw my spot and realized, okay, he's coming into, into Darwin. So we had a quick little chat. And uh, I just had to sleep on a uh, on a park bench there for a, a little while. And then, uh, yeah, you come back down about uh, – so that's all dark at that point. And um, I come back down 300 kilometers to a little place called Catherine. And then from there, it's – so I'm right in the middle of Australia, up the top. And then it's a straight west detour, glorious. I've been along that piece of road once before in the opposite direction, but uh, as I say, because so much of this road ride was so remote, I'm not familiar with it. But that was spectacularly beautiful. I'd love to go back at a slower pace and see it again, but some beautiful rivers, gorgeous, wonderful, wonderful territory. So that's uh, across then into the northern part of Western Australia. So on my way around, it took me over three days to get through the state of western Australia mm-hmm. it's that big, they're so just looping around into there, so uh, yeah, that was it. And incredibly hot uh, by the time I was there i, I don 't you know my, my bike was saying it's thirty eight degrees and it was pretty horrible, but uh anyway, uh, pushed on, but that was into yeah it's beautiful, beautiful territory
0: so as you, in your in your ride report, you talk about I mean you've actually talked about this as in as we've been talking here, but as you come down into kind of the perth area, people are Somebody is standing on the side of the road waving at you, basically. and It seemed like a lot of people were following you.
1: Well, yeah. So there's a there's a fellow there, Gus. So Gus, Gus is one of our well-established long, long-distance long riders. And I've done a couple of hundred CCCs, and, and Gus has escorted me into town. It's a little thing. We, we get a kick out of it. We love it when they come over here from the west as well. But um, I'm just, you know, this is when I've overshot my mark. I'm tired as anything. It's like, oh, no, I've got to go through Perth. I don't really know where I'm going. And uh, on the side of the road, here's here's Gus, and I knew straight away. I recognised his bike immediately, and uh, so he just gave me the wave, and I started to slow down. He said, no, 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 wave me on, go, keep you keep going, and he jumped on behind me, and then uh, hopped in front. It was just terrific to have some company. I'd ridden with um, uh, another fellow, Paul Vopal, uh, Ghost Rider, over in Queensland for a little while, but otherwise I'd, I'd had no company uh, for, for days, and uh, so it was actually it was it was terrific to go through a big city. With lots of zigzags, and I actually found it quite hard to um, to follow the the signage. But Gus just said, "No, get on my tail and just chase me through," and uh, so that was terrific. Yeah, so uh, that's a couple of fellows that come out. I think in in all, I had uh, ten riders come out and meet me on the side of the road. Wow. It was great. Yeah, yeah it was, it was it's wonderful. So and then from there, so that's that's just sort of skirts through the the suburbs of Perth, and then heads south, you know, r- right down to the to the southwestern corner. Um, of Australia in some lovely 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 forested areas, just spectacular yeah hardwood trees, really, really tall trees, wonderful little winding roads that again i 'd love to go back and see them in, in different circumstances um and uh then it cut across so now at that point it's like well okay now i'm turning i'm turning towards home that's that's' I've, that's i've hit the most westerly point through the uh forest in in the uh fading daylight that day. I'd phoned my wife, and she was able to get me some accommodation up the road. You know, like up the road, I think it was about 500 kilometres away or something. And uh, I was enjoying my ride until I hit fog—the worst fog I think I've ever ridden in. It was—it was horrendous. So, I—I I hated it. <laughs> um, I was just completely fogged up. Traffic. There the was, was sparse traffic, but again, these great big trucks just belting down the road 100 kilometres hour the other direction. You only get a couple of seconds warning that they're there. They're not. They don't slow for anything. Um, and at times, much of the time, I think I was down to about, uh, first, you know, just grinding along in first gear, yeah. um, until I finally found my accommodation for the night. But, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty tough.
0: So was that the only um, so hotel like you two, stayed in?
1: Yeah. That, uh, no, I stayed in, uh, was, again, my, my wife got me all the accommodation. I'd have a chat to and say, can you find me <laughs> some accommodation, you know, wherever. So I stayed in, uh, I got accommodation at uh, Mount Isa, that's up in Queensland. Okay. Um, over in, uh, near Broome. Um, when I cut across that beautiful piece of road into West Australia and a uh, little place called Roebuck, again, one of these road houses where there's really not much beyond a petrol station and some accommodation, just key in the door. That's that's what I did in all three places. Hmm. So, um, yeah, when i now down in the southern part of, of Western Australia, that was my last uh, hotel.
0: I was going to say, there's yeah, a but lot of IBA motels. Uh, for yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of
1: IBO. Now. So I basically I do, I don't mind, I'm happy to run 24 hour days, but um, back to back it gets very difficult, of course. So you've got to, you have to have a strategy. My preferred strategy is to have a nap at dawn with the transition of the light and a nap uh, in the afternoon, like same thing, sundown, if I can get it, if I can time it right and find somewhere and then somewhere in the night for, you know, an extra hour or so. I'm I'm quite happy to do that for day after day. Yeah so, so um, that, that was my napping strategy yeah but i must say to, to get the, after the really rough night in the fog i just i you know just sort of made a a, a pact with myself oh, i want six hours off the bike i just needed to get off the bike yeah. so it's terrific to have a, a you know, roof over my head and a shower and somebody to wash my clothes that sort of thing uh on that day so that, that was terrific so along this
0: um, kind of southeast or excuse me southwest coast of australia is this pretty rural in yeah. here as well
1: yeah yeah yeah. So it's uh, uh again a lovely big forest but then from once you once you round the corner and start heading toward the bite then yeah that's that's yeah, open spaces. but where I was it was quite rural. I I spoke to a local um shopkeeper just on dark and uh and he said well, from from about here this is Walpole was the name of the town. He said there's a lot more farms from here on in so you know slightly less chance of kangaroo strike which is our number one concern here in Australia. Um, and I, I was lucky, completely lucky. Perhaps I saw twenty mm. in the whole trip, whereas uh, other times I've seen well over a thousand in a night. Um, so it's it's pretty hairy at times. But so I had no troubles at all with wildlife this trip.
0: Oh, that's good to um,
1: hear. And yeah, so it was more more rural from there. Yeah, yeah, it's a and then it goes to you know, once once you continue further east again. That's across the Nullarbor. That's not rural. That's Nullarbor. No trees. Mm. It's the treeless plain. For hundreds of kilometers without no proper trees it's a very strange piece, part of the world
0: Yeah. so uh let's see so in terms of and this is kind of relates to the the rural aspect did you have yep. cell phone coverage this whole time or are you kind of going in and out of it as you come to towns
1: uh well i i didn't i never checked uh at any point except in the town mm. yeah so I, I didn't check for the cell phone coverage, but but I'll, the answer to that would have to be uh, no. There'd be huge areas where there's no cell phone coverage. Yeah. Um, but I'd say I, I didn't need it. Had no breakdowns. Um, but uh, some some people will travel with a satellite phone within Australia because uh, it, you know, it can be a long, long way from coverage. But on this particular ride, no, I I, I didn't have anything like that. Um, but I, I have no idea when I had cell phone coverage and when I didn't. So, so uh,
0: yeah. So you're now you're kind of like I would say on the home stretch here. You're you're coming yeah, yeah, through South Australia. Stretch. Um yeah. you're starting to I mean, you're starting to get into more populated areas. Yes. Did had you timed this so that you were going to hit cities at a good time or I was trying
1: Oh, uh, yeah, so I was trying to do that. Basically for the in the real home stretch so yeah, you know, three of our biggest cities well, the Sydney, Sydney, Melbourne, and Adelaide were, were my last three that I had to contend with. So in order, I was, Adelaide's the smallest, Melbourne and Sydney are very similar size. You know, Sydney may be a little bit bigger. Um, and I, I was trying to do the sums in my head. It was very difficult. As I say, I took off without a proper road plan. All I knew was the distances. I, I didn't think about the times at all. So I'm doing all this in my head on the run. <laughs> and uh, so I came into, I was about 300 kilometres uh, on the on the wrong side of uh, of Adelaide uh, in the morning. I thought, okay, that shouldn't be too bad. I won't rush through here because I'm going to hit the morning traffic. So I came through there later um, and that was in the middle of the day where you go straight across, you, you're up the main street of Adelaide, one of our biggest cities, um, in, in the middle of the day. But again, it was not peak hour, thankfully. <laughs> um, and uh, so I thought, okay, that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll sort Adelaide out in the middle of the day. And then in my mind, I'm jumping ahead, that's fine, I'll then hit melbourne in the middle of the night so i should be able to pass through there okay and knowing that when i hit sydney in the afternoon friday afternoon i knew that was bad i knew it would be bad no matter what i did um, but i thought that was more manageable so I, I i stuck with that little plan and just sort of uh you know cobbled it together as i went um coming through adelaide i was looking forward to there's a lovely climb to the southeast of adelaide just gorgeous climb up out of the city and and again what what most of us would recognise as an interstate quality uh, road, at least for oh, it seems about fifty to a hundred kilometres, that's a that's a big deal out of a city in Australia to have that that quality road. And uh, as I came up out of the city, it was just into fog and rain. I, I just couldn't yeah. believe it. I would just I would like, no, no, no more fog and rain. And I had that rain with me for hundreds, of, oh, maybe oh, I don't know. Seven or 800 kilometers of rain after that, I suppose. <laughs> but coming up out of the top, I saw, I saw a wonderful vision. It's terrific. Uh, one of our, our riders here is an Adelaide local. Um, we call him Jeff the Chef, but Jeff, Jeff Gembler. He's up the top. I could just see him, and in my mind, very clear. This is an enormous man. I've no idea how tall Jeff is, but he's tall, very, very tall, <laughs> on his great big blue super tenere, which looks small. I've got a super tenere myself, and I know I don't look like that on it. And so I knew immediately, oh, this is Jeff. And as soon as I knew it, I thought, oh, thank you. And he just hopped out in behind me where, as I say, fog and rain. It was absolutely miserable, and I was having a ball. I was just chasing chasing Jeff through this, and it was it was just such a, a lovely feeling to be welcomed like that. We hadn't said a word. He just waved on the side of the road and uh, picked me up. It's just, it was terrific. Just a, It's a real lift on a ride like that. Yeah. And uh, so he escorted me out of town. There's a little, it's a funny little twist, I suppose, as you exit. So uh, the road's the A1, but where you pass through the city is the M1, like motorway one. But for some re- reason, as the as the roads have been renamed over the years, in South Australia, you then take a little detour uh, called the B1. And that takes you right onto the very edge of the coast, a, you know, a, a quiet little road that I, I had a miserable time in because it was so horrible and rainy. And uh, the locals seem not to want to run their lights in the, in in that sort of traffic for some in that sort of conditions for some mad reason. But uh, so I'm I'm just in there. It's like raining. It's still daylight, but I'm running out of out of uh, uh, out of light. And um, and then uh, from there for the next few hours, it only got worse. <laughs> so it was just it was a horrible night, a horrible night. Um, but I eventually, you know, I, I got through. I was basically being bucketed once once the the night settled in the the sort of longitudinal grooves that you know you guys had experienced as well just from the traffic from the trucks themselves um just filled full of bathtubs full of water that yeah. i was just being pummeled with as, as a truck or a car would pump, come past me and i was just going slower and slower i had so much water up inside my visor i couldn't see anything yeah. and nowhere to stop just nowhere safe to pull over for quite a while and uh so it was pretty horrible but anyway i eventually got through that, and. got to a a petrol station there were certain spots along that little piece of the coast that again to get to hit the key marks of this ride you've got to prove you're there and uh so I I hit those and dried my helmet out and held my breath and put put it back on again I tried to get riding before I fogged up and thankfully not too far from there it started to fine up and uh that's then coming into Melbourne so I'm in I'm approaching Melbourne very late at night, and. I'd already, well, just talking to, again, the same, same fat man on the phone, I said, that's basically where I'm aiming to get a docket. I wasn't expecting company. This is in the middle of the night, I don't know, 1.30 at night time or something. And uh, I just took a little exit off a freeway, my, my, much like the, the so, sort of uh, interstate service centres that, uh, that feature so widely in, uh, in the US. But I'm now in the, I'm within the precinct of the city of Melbourne, you know, a city of 4 million people. Just took the exit to the off to a gas station, and uh, I've got an Iron Butt but an iron rally veteran. Derek Sutton's there, Fat Man himself's there, another fellow, Fillmore. We've got two guys that've done fifty CCs. It's like crikey, it's one thirty in the morning, and I've got these three big dogs here to greet me. I thought this is serious. This is really serious. <laughs> and so I just I pulled in and I'm starting to fill up, and I, I want to talk. Like I haven't spoken. I had a had a word to Jeff the the uh the lunchtime beforehand. Otherwise they would not really spoken to anyone for days and they're telling me, Come on, hurry up, hurry up, stop talking while you're filling. It's so, like, oh, they're, they're even taking it seriously. So uh it was wonderful. And then I just hopped on behind these guys, they're locals, they know that nowhere to go. And it was just such a it was just a real relaxation after me being slammed for hours in this horrible rain. And uh, by now it's dry and I just chased them out of town and Filmore, I think he escorted me about 165 kilometres or something, 100 miles, out of uh, out of Melbourne. Me just chasing him uh, along the freeway system It was, it was terrific. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, uh, so that, got, that
1: got me through Melbourne. That was so so that as you said a little while ago, did I plan that? I thought I do not want to be in Melbourne in peak hour. Yeah. So I went through empty, completely empty, empty roads. Glorious.
0: Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just because I had to look it up, docket is a is a receipt, right?
1: Oh, receipts? Oh, yes, 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 yeah. Yeah, receipts. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Sorry about that. No, no, <laughs> Sorry, worries. Yeah,
1: computerized receipts uh, as you go. You know, standard iron butt uh, stuff. So that's that's the the rules. I was luckily, I was lucky all the way around, even in the very remote places. Again, I, you know, I've done quite a bit of this, so just sort of half planning. Okay, if, if I hit here, I'll hit there, and I'll be right for a docket there. It's twenty four hours, that sort of thing. So uh, I had no no troubles with uh, docket's receipts. Um, at any point, so it was a good thing.
0: So you hit yeah. you hit Melbourne just right, but you didn't hit Sydney just yeah. right. No, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had a lovely ride. Um, from there, as as I was with this fellow Fillmore, he, he delivered me out. Uh, he got me out of Melbourne, and then uh, another fellow Graham Hackle. Uh, Hackle came back. He he rode about a uh, hundred kilometres back towards Melbourne to pick us up, and then turned around and rode back with me. Oh, nice. And so he rode back through his hometown, and you know, I stopped for gas there, and then through the through uh, the sunrise to another another little remote town called uh, Can River, where there was a fellow not far... He lives... Uh, John Negus is not far south from here, maybe uh, 100 kilometres. But he had ridden about 800 kilometres down to this little place called Can River and just waited. He just waited for me to turn up. And so I turned up there on dawn on the glorious, glorious day, the final day to come home. I'd been watching the clock and doubting for a couple of days. I was really quite concerned that I'd run out of time. But I uh, just kept on plotting, doing what you have to do. And, uh, and so the two of us just had a, a fantastic ride uh, just the, down the south coast of New South Wales and around the corner of Victoria into New South Wales. Very, very pretty roads, beautiful stuff. Hmm. Some lovely little towns to pass through. But of course, being the A1, the old highway, there's no freeways here. This is all just small towns. You just come around a little, little town across the, you know, the local bridge through the main street of, the, of a small town with your feet on the ground. On an Iron Butt, yeah, Iron Butt Rally pace ride, where you're just walking your bike through a little village somewhere, and uh, but we had a lovely time. It was, it was a terrific, uh, terrific day to ride, and um, then of course all the way all the way through the big big doubt is the the unknown of how long is it going to take me to get through Sydney, mm-hmm. and uh, so I knew that I'd be coming in on Friday afternoon. Now it's it's pretty thick traffic on any Friday afternoon, uh, but uh, when so I was riding with John. We'd made it through, we crossed under, we, we, I took the the Harbour Tunnel, so in Sydney Harbour, beautiful place. You go under uh, under a tunnel and pop up. John went over the bridge for the fun of it and we met on the other side. Um, but the A1 takes the tunnel, so I took the tunnel. We stopped at the first available gas station, shared a sandwich, had a drink, felt like I was home. I've only got about 150 kilometres to go. We checked the traffic and it's all looking very, very light. And said, so, oh, wonderful, this is going to be a breeze. Got back onto the road and went about five kilometres, just ran into gridlock. It's nah. just complete gridlock for well over an hour. I was walking the bike; the poor thing's overheating. I'm trying to sneak. I can't lane split. I'm too wide for that. John's on his little Aprilia, so he's entertaining himself dancing between the traffic. But I couldn't move anywhere like that. <laughs> so it was, and all the time I'm just watching the clock. And my, I punched in as I said, I was only doing sort of one town ahead, one town ahead, and. As you know, as, you, as most GPSs are able to do, they they can estimate when you're going to get there. So I had hours and hours when I started started the gridlock, and I thought I'm just I'm going to be stuck in traffic mm. when the clock runs out. I just couldn't believe that I'd come all this way and I was going to be foiled by the traffic. But uh, anyway, I hung in there, hung in there, and by the time I was about to hit the freeway, and that's to turn off this just a small city highway with side streets and traffic lights all the way. That's the road I was on. At the very, very tip of the of the motorway, the police were booking, uh, uh, on, on, on ticketing, ticketing, as you guys might say, a car parked in a no stopping zone. So there's only two lanes there. Someone had parked and blocked up oh. for 10 kilometers, more, 15 kilometers. <laughs> this snarl on a Friday afternoon was just blocked through one foolish person who'd parked where they, could, where they weren't allowed to park. So I couldn't believe that that's what the problem was. But anyway, uh, from there, it was just onto the freeway. And again, it was a little bit busy on a Friday afternoon, but that, that was okay. From so, there, I was just heading up to the outskirts of my town. That's Newcastle. And uh, it, made it made it through there and had a had a welcoming committee there, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, and uh, signed off and I'd done my 15,000-kilometer lap of Highway 1.
0: So, you have, so in the rules, you have nine days to do this. Yeah, nine days. How, yeah. what was your final time? How close did eight you cut this?
1: Eight days, 22 hours and seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you would have so liked I'd to have,
0: have cool. a little more cushion than that, huh?
1: Oh, exactly. But as I say, approaching Sydney from the south, ah, cushion. I've got cushion everywhere. I'm buffered up everywhere, and it all just frittered away. But anyway, (laughs) uh, a few days beforehand, I I had I had doubts that I'd be there. So I I was very very pleased that I had almost a two hour cushion at the end. Uh, But uh, yeah, it was it was a fantastic ride.
0: Well, congratulations on making it. That is an epic ride. Epic ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm I'm very happy for you, and and I'm thrilled that you, I was able to get you on to, to talk about it because I I was I mean like I said we got a lot of people uh, on the Far Riders board that listen to it to us and I have a special place in my heart for Australia and this yeah. is, nice. I I don't know if I'd want to do the lap but I definitely want to ride my motorcycle in Australia at some point so
1: well come on over we've got some we've got some fantastic rides yeah fantastic rides <laughs> yes, fantastic rides
0: so yeah. hey on on this podcast we ask every guest the same series of twelve questions calling the LD dozen your game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll give it a crack.
0: All right. First question in the LD dozen is what was your first motorcycle and why?
1: My first motorcycle ever was a Yamaha, uh, 90 CC step through with plastic leg guards. And I basically bought it with my, my first paycheck out of high school.
0: Nice. All right. Where did you take your first overnight ride?
1: My first overnight ride was my first 1,000-kilometer ride. I rode from dusk to dawn. Huh. The first, I'd never ridden 1,000 kilometers before, so I did 1,000 kilometers overnight as my first overnight ride.
0: <laughs> That's the first time I've ever, heard, ever had anyone answer that question that way. Cool. That's very cool. <laughs> uh, what is your day job? What pays for this? Uh, I'm a doctor. You're a doctor. Oh, medical doctor. Yep. Well, that probably would have been been helpful if you ran into any problems along the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so long as it wasn't to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: what is your favorite non-motorcycling hobby?
1: Travel. It's just going to be travel. Oh, yeah. So that, that yeah, you're, uh, you know, travel all around the world. It's 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 terrific. I like to go out and see other places.
0: All right. Uh, what is your favorite road?
1: My favourite road is the Oxley Highway, in uh, just north of me. It's a couple of couple of hours north, uh, and it's just it's a it's a lovely, lovely road. Yeah. So that, that's the, my 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 forum nickname, if you like, is Ox 34. 34 used to be the number of the highway. It seems to the name. It's since changed name, it has been downgraded. But Oxley Highway, glorious piece of road. I love it.
0: That's awesome because I was actually going to ask you about that. Why why Ox Thirty Four? I knew there had to yeah, be yeah yeah. That's
1: all it was. Uh, and the, the the trigger for it is just one. I was many years ago. I'm riding a Virago a Virago Yamaha Virago Seven Fifty Cruiser, and I was going to visit my family up the coast. I thought I'd go inland, and then I turned down the Ox, and I had no idea, I just I didn't know the roads like this existed. This is early in my riding career, yeah. And so ah oh, I'm in heaven. <laughs> so uh, I've since done. Uh, Sixteen hundred thousand mile days, only in the twisties.
0: Mm, wow!
1: I love the ox. <laughs> All
0: right. So, uh, on the flip side of that, what is your least favorite road?
1: My least favorite road. Oh, hmm, that's a tough one. I'd say it's the Bruce the Bruce Highway, which I had to ride the other day in uh queensland i find it uh really frustrating you delivered delivered on wonderful freeways and all of a sudden you're grinding along at 60 kilometers an hour or slower on a major highway so yeah i don't like the bruce
0: that's yeah. funny because that's that's the you, you would have been on the bruce yep. when you came
1: down from Cairns. yep that's exactly yeah. right up north it's okay but just north of north of uh queensland oh, sorry north of brisbane when you get past noosa heads no i don't like the bruce
0: so that's yeah. that's funny because okay, so I, I can't remember if i told this story uh, When we had Peter Green on, but, uh, so I, my family went over to Cairns. My parents are both teachers. And so they did a class or it was a a class, basically a college level class that came over to to Australia. We went around the Cairns area for, uh, two weeks and then we kind of split off from the group and we rented a car and drove down to Rockhampton to visit a pen pal my dad had in, uh, Stanwell, uh, which, little wide spot in the road outside of uh, Rockhampton, And yep. so we're driving down the Bruce highway and I mean, this is 30 years ago, so it's pretty rural and Peter's like, well, it's still pretty rural up there. And, uh, I, so we were getting down into Marysboro and my dad was kind of nervous about driving into the city, not being used to driving on the other side of the road. And so we, sure. so we, uh, traded in a rental car and took a bus from Marysboro down to, to uh Brisbane and we as we're driving into Brisbane my head's like, oh my God, it's a freeway. I could have done this. <laughs> <laughs> we have done the hard part already. The worst yeah. part worst part about that is we ended up getting this was in nineteen eighty eight when the World's Fair was Expo. Yep. When Expo the, and so our, yeah, yeah, yeah. and through some weird this is back in the day when you still used a travel agent, through some weird uh screw up on the travel agents and we didn't have a hotel room in Brisbane. And of course There were no hotels available because of the World's Fair. And uh, so our plan was we're going to go to the airport and ditch our bags in a locker and then take a taxi in and go to the go to the fair. Well, we get to the airport and there's no no uh, lockers. And so we had no way of getting rid of all our duffel bags full of crap. Yep. And yep. this is the old Brisbane airport, which I can I can probably still map out for you because we were there for 30 hours waiting <laughs> for our flight to leave. And, I mean, it's basically two rooms with a bar in the middle of it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that was – I was never been so happy to get on a plane in my life. But
1: Yeah, nice.
0: <laughs> so, uh, all right, back to the LD dozen here. Uh, yep. W- when you're navigating, you use base camp, streets and trips, or paper maps? Uh, base camp base camp if you're going to get a new bike tomorrow what's the first farkle you're going to put on it lights lights how come i'm light obsessed
1: (laughs) my tenere's got 10 spotlights on it i'm not frightened of the dark i used to be (laughs) no no lights for me in australia if you're riding long distances you need lights first you're going to need fuel but you need lights first
0: all right. So we've we've hit on a couple of your current bikes, but w- tell us all about what's in your stable right now.
1: Uh yeah, so the, so the FJR, yeah, so that's my third one of those. Uh I've got a Super Tenere. Uh again, it's you know, auxiliary fuel cell. It's got those 10 lights up front, incredibly comfortable. Um I've changed the tires every now and then. I dabble and think I'm going to try and try and do some dirt riding, but I've got no dirt skills. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've got the Super Tenere. I've just I've just come back this weekend from uh, piloting my my nephew. He's ten. Today is one year since he did his first iron butt ride on the back with me. Nice, um, and that's on a, a, a learner legal here in Australia. That's that's a different classification, uh, but uh, so it's a 600 a detuned 650 Kawasaki Versus. Mm. Uh, yeah, love a little bike, um, and uh, yeah. So we, we've done that um, uh, today. So we've done a few rides on on the little Versus. Um, I have a bmw f800 gtp like police issue which i think may be the only one in the country i'm not really sure but uh, i did 100 ccc on that i was toying with the idea of taking that as a smaller physically it's almost as big as an fjr but it's about 100 kilos lighter and i was toying with flying it to the iron butt rally for this mm. year but uh, unfortunately i have had to pull out of the iron butt rally but uh uh, yeah, so that, that's why I bought that one. I did 100 C.C. on no problem at all. Great little thing. It's only 800 C.C.s, um, a 15 liter tank. But you put a uh, fuel cell on the back. Great, great little thing. And uh, oh, my last one, my commuter is um, a Yamaha Tmax 530 C.C. scooter. Um, and I've done nine but rally. Oh, sorry, Iron but ride on uh, on that one as well. I've done done those on other scooters, but uh, yeah, even on my my scooter, my work scooter, completely stock. Um, a sixteen hundred kilometre day. So that's my that's my current stable of bikes.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Kawasaki because I was asked if that was a KLR six hundred and fifty, but I, now that I no no no, it's so, a Versus, yeah, versus.
1: parallel parallel twin. Um, the the classic adventure style. It's only got a seventeen inch uh, front wheel. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, that I don't have the dirt skills to really use a nineteen, but. Uh, or a 21 for that matter, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a lovely, I guess as you get older, you want to sit more and more upright, yeah. And uh, but the Versus, it's terrific. Again, it's about, well, full, my fully focal, fully laden, uh, Super tanneray has got to go at least 290 kilograms or something, whereas the, the little Versus is about 80 kilograms or so lighter than that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice little thing, yeah. yeah. Okay, so
0: you've done a couple of rallies here in the United States, so what was your first yep. one?
1: Uh, the Butt Light Rally. I was lucky. We've uh, got another uh, a very well established rally rider over in the states now, um, Ian McPhee. Table Drain is is known around the traps. Ian actually is an Aussie, but he lives in Africa, and uh, he and I were both lucky to get selected in the 2013 uh, Iron Butt Rally, and we snagged the last two spots in the 2012 Butt Light. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Ian bought a bike in Minnesota. I bought a bike online from California. I wasn't able to ride it in the rally. That was through a titling problem that I had. But uh, yes, yeah, so I've uh, I've done the the Butt Light in 2012, then the Iron Butt Rally in uh, 2013, which is absolutely fantastic on a on a um, an FJR that kind of matches the one I have here. Uh, I was selected in the 2015 and just unfortunately had a ridiculous simple accident before the rally mm-hmm. in the car park in in albuquerque and hurt my back oh. and uh i i just i couldn't sit i contemplated standing up for 20 hours a day on the rally but i thought <laughs> i could end up a thousand miles away worse off so I, I i had to just you know hang my head and come home and uh yeah so the, the, they're the two the two major rallies that i've done here yeah.
0: all right uh, what is the your favorite or the most interesting location you've been to on your motorcycle
1: single location I've been on my motorcycle hmm, That's a... I reckon um, I'll, it's a road and a location, uh, Highway 50 Highway 50 in, in the US, mm-hmm. I found that gloriously fascinating you do those handful of bends you come swing around the left hander you stare across the valley at another bunch, at another hill in the distance and do it again mm-hmm. 17 times or something I love that.
0: Now Highway yes. Fifty Not in... my
1: favourite road, but an incredible location. I thought I loved it.
0: Which which part of Highway Fifty? Is that the part in Utah? Oh, so
1: I woke uh, so oh, I I now can't remember the town. This is on the Iron Butt Rally. Uh, I was somewhere near Salt Lake City, coming okay. I think I was south of Salt Lake City, yeah. heading towards Reno. So yeah. through I think it's Eli is one of the places there and a couple of little spots. I finally got my Australian credit card to work at an automatic automatic uh, petrol pump. Yeah. For the first and only time in all my rides in <laughs> in America, because I've ridden in, in the states a few times, not not just on the rallies, and uh, I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. I wanted to share it with someone. But of course, the gas station was shut. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just rode off onto on Highway 50. But yeah, yeah, that was that's that was the section, and it's just those constant. I think it's something like 17 passes, and you just stare off into the distance and do it all over again. Glorious.
0: Nice. Yeah. All right, uh, last question on the LD Dozen. How do you pass the time on a long ride? Do you listen to music, audiobooks, just sit and watch the flowers go by?
1: This last 15,000-kilometer ride, I broke my Tom's lead at the first petrol station. I rode it in silence. Yeah. How I pass the time is running the numbers in my head. Hmm. That's a, a, Whether I'm running music or, or not, uh, I pass the time by running the numbers in my head. How far? How you know? How fast? What if this happens? That, that's that's how I pass the time. Wow. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, you've completed the L.D. dozen. Uh, anything else you thank want you. to talk about before I let you go?
1: Oh uh, no, no, that was, it's it's been fantastic, Justin. Yeah, yeah, great, great, great to talk bikes and riding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is Peter Hogan, compl- who has just completed a lap of Australia. Peter, thank you for coming on Long Riders Radio.
1: Complete pleasure. Thank you very
0: much. Well, if you'd like to get in contact with me, there's lots of ways you can do it. Easiest way is to head over to the website, www.longridersradio.com. There you'll find links to any way to get in contact with me. And as always, we need to thank this show's founder, Mr. Michael Cox. You know, I was talking to Mike the other day about his first podcast. Did you know he did a podcast before Longriders Radio? And I asked him to describe it, and he said, "It's just noise and clatter of rocks going everywhere. Thanks for listening, everyone. Ride safe.